There's something heightened about the restaurant experience that, you know, why, why are restaurants such a compelling place in every culture? Why all over the world do we go to restaurants to celebrate our life that we've lived with, with our partner or to celebrate a success in business or something like that? You know, it's because it's special. It's because it's elevated. You know, it's enriching, and it you you know the the term restaurant is a place of restoration. On a good day, you feel restored by that experience. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. The pandemic has altered the way we interact socially perhaps forever. As the government begins to ease restrictions and slowly open up society again, when will it feel normal again to attend large gatherings like concerts and festivals? Places where people with a common interest come together to celebrate something special in their own lives. Pat Nurse is one of Australia's most influential food writers and the creative director of Australia's largest food event, the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. Pat, how are you going? Huck, it's great to hear from you. Mate, it's been it's been a little while, hasn't it? It's um the landscape has certainly changed since I last saw you, that's for sure. I live in Victoria. I mean, forget the pandemic, that's radical. <laughs> well, I'm in Canberra and that's also well, perhaps not as radical. Um, but it's certainly certainly life changing. <laughs> God's country. Yes. Um good place to raise a family. Um Mate, it's, it's been a pretty interesting time and you've had a career change in the last couple of years and, you know, taking on the massive, amazing beast that is the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. Um, can you take us through those early stages when you realised that you had to postpone the event? Um, it was, when I think back to it, I mostly picture myself in the shower. So it's good that we're doing this over the airwaves, <laughs> I guess. Um so we're we're rolling into March, and um, you know me and all the people I work with are running headlong into the culmination of, for some of us, twelve months' work. Um, you know, thousands of phone calls, thousands of emails, one hundred and fifty venues plus around Melbourne, which means at least one hundred and fifty people here, probably more like five hundred. Um, you know, dozens of people around the world, flights, hotels, sponsors, layers of government, um, venues, building stuff, ordering. There's a lot going on. You know, there's a lot of moving parts. Um, I, I'm relatively new to being in events full time and I just remember my colleagues sort of saying for the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival, which you know, usually takes place in March, you sort of come out of Christmas Strap on the pads, kiss your husbands and wives goodbye, and just put your head down because you don't you don't see daylight again until April. Um, but I mean, just to backtrack a little bit, we'd already come into the year, you know, off off baseline, you know, because we had the fires, um, and you know, Victoria obviously was significantly affected by that. Um, along with many other parts of the country. And so we we came back in the first week of January and we put all of our um, festival campaigning on pause um, to do the first of multiple pivots, love that word, um, 
to raise money for bushfire recovery. So because, um, you know, even when we were on our Christmas break, you know, that was that was when things were getting particularly serious um, in the, the northeast corner of the state here. And, you know, we're already hearing from all sorts of people from across hospitality saying, what can we do to help? You know, how can we raise some money or... I've got a venue or I've got some meat or I've got some wine or I've got people or I'd like to lend some time or I'd like to help some people or I want to cook. So um, we just sort of flipped into organization mode, which is what, you know, what the people I work with are really good at and and sharing information mode. Um, so, you know, it was the Victorian and Australian hospitality community that was, you know, doing the hard work. Um, we just connected them all and then told people about it. And it was really great. Like the the number of people who volunteered their time and their venues, food, drink, the works, it was just incredible. And within a week, um, we raised $200,000 for the, the state's bushfire recovery fund, which is great. So, yeah, but nonetheless, the year had gotten off to an odd start. Um, you know, a, quite a few high-profile sort of international venues in Victoria were already feeling it. You know, there were people who were seeing that, you know, Australia is on fire. So people were cancelling their their trips because they thought that, you know, Melbourne and Sydney were on fire. So and I'm sure some of the people you've spoken to for the show would, would echo that sentiment. And then, um, you know, come March, busy, 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 but there's just this sort of insistent drumbeat on the news, you know, um, this virus has been discovered. I mean, we're 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 all we all had our heads in the in the fires. We weren't experts on immunology then. Each of us in our homes, we were experts in fuel loads and um, you know the the politics of backburning and hazard reduction burning, all that sort of stuff. Remember that before we were into viral loads and <laughs> and uh, contact tracing. Um, and so I guess it didn't seem front mind initially and um but nonetheless it was there in the background and and you know um you know if you work in hospitality you would have noticed that it was first felt in in the chinatowns of australia um yeah. which i guess is a reflection of the fact that it you know the first news we had of the virus was coming out of china um you know uh, we were sort of well into festival mode then but we were sort of sharing stories from um, people like Sophia Levin here in Melbourne, a, a you know journalist who was trying to organise a lot of people to get people down to Chinatown to support yeah, venues right. in Melbourne that were suffering. You know, there was the front page news that the Shark Fin Inn was going to close. You know, a real late night Cantonese landmark here. Um, you know, Box Hill, another another Chinatown here, was basically deserted. And meanwhile, on the radio, all the time you're hearing things, you know, like so-and-so is being cancelled. You know, um, the Saudi government has said that Mecca will be closed to, to pilgrims for the next X months and over and over again. And you just think, is this real? Is this is this Australia? You know, because yeah. here living in Australia, we've, we've lived through SARS and we've lived through MERS and there were certainly, um, you know, sectors of the Australian economy that were affected by that and the Australian community that were affected by that. But you wouldn't really have known about it day to day if you weren't reading the newspapers. You know, it didn't change most people's lives day to day. So it was it was very easy, certainly from my perspective, with you know the, my eyes firmly set on the festival, to think that yeah. this could just be another thing like that. You know, like you know maybe if we had some guests coming from 
from China, you know, maybe we'd, we'd not be able to have them. And, you know, there were questions coming from our inter overseas guests about whether it was safe to travel. And I was reassuring them that the advice we had from, um, you know, the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trades website from uh, the, the similar bodies in, in the US and the UK was all that it was fine to travel to Australia. In Victoria, the week before the festival, we had cases in the single digits. So the, the Grand Prix was proceeding, you know, everything was pretty much go, but there was this sort of background note of like, of concern, you know, growing concern. Um, and then it when it changed, it changed very quickly. And I guess that's sort of even reflected when you look at the curve, the now happily bent curve, go Australia, bravo Australia and New Zealand. Um, you, that week it was just like shooting up like a roller coaster. And we went from being all systems go a week out from the festival. You know, we were looking at increasing our um, sanitation and that sort of stuff. But generally, you know, we're, we're all systems go for events that had 2,000 people sitting down for lunch together, elbow to elbow, for 5,000 people, you know, going through a big spaghetti party or a Szechuan snack fair over the course of a day. That was all go until uh, Friday the 13th. Ooh, ominous. What a date. <laughs> but even then, actually, it was, it was thir it, you know, we woke up in the morning and for me, all of the international talent cancelled all in a shot. Like they'd, they'd been, um, you know, nervous up to that point because, you know, if you're living in the States or the UK, things were, had gotten a bit more serious more quickly than here. Um, but generally it was like, oh, you know, it's safer to be in Australia. All those conversations stopped. Um, and then the cancellation of the Grand Prix here in Victoria just sent shockwaves through the events business. And then that same day, you know, we had an emergency meeting all day with all of our, all, with our board and with, um, you know, all the members of our team. And we watched the, the Prime Minister's press conference together and heard the words that, you know, all large gatherings would be, would be cancelled from, from that moment on. And that was it. We, we postponed the festival the same afternoon. Um, you know, we were less than a week out from opening we even even a few days before that we'd sold we were selling lots of tickets you know like we'd sold out lots of our events everything was looking good we'd had a fantastic reception for the program which for me was the first one i'd i'd worked on creatively so i joined the the festival in march 2019 during a festival but i was just sort of smiling and waving and taking credit for that one this was the first one i actually um had a, a real hand in and yeah, we, we just had to press stop on everything. I think, I mean, luckily, luckily, I mean, it's a weird term to use in this context, but we were far enough out that the 120-ish venues that we partner with in Victoria to stage events hadn't, you know, had their cool rooms full of produce for events, you know, things like that. Um, we had some food ordered for some of our larger events and, you know, I'm not going to mince words on this. We took a really big hit on this. You know, it's cost our organization a lot of money, quite apart from the human cost. I mean, that is that is a year's work for a whole bunch of people. Yeah. So, how, how did how were you feeling at that time, having to do that after working so hard on such an, a massive event? I mean, it was, it was really hard. 
you know, it's, there's no two ways around it. We, but we had to, you know, we had to move quickly as well. Like we didn't have time to sit around and commiserate. We had to go, okay, there are people literally on tools, you know, there are people building structures for us. A lot of them were built um, that we had to say stop. You know, we had to try and, you know, stop any money being spent. We had to try and shore up any relationships. We had to move really quickly um, to, you know, stop any of those partner restaurants, bars, councils, cafes, you know, from incurring any losses on our behalf. Um, and we had to sort of communicate that message to all of our ticket holders and and also think really hard. Are we cancelling? Are we postponing? What are we doing? You know, because the implications when you've got an event this big, you know, this is an event that runs two weeks that, you know, in years past has involved 250,000 guests um, across the events. There's a lot of moving wow. pieces, you know. So yeah. um, it's a real credit to the leadership um, of our CEO, Anthea Lucas Bosher, and, and the cool heads of our teams, you know, our events guys, our comms people. You know, this is a really polished team at this organization, and they, you know, we could have just sat around crying or banging our heads against the wall or saying, why, why, why? I was certainly tempted to do all of those things, but, you know, we had a job to do. So we got on with it. And it's only, I guess, since then, occasionally we'd have these weird moments, you know, I'd get a text from a, a restaurateur or one of the guest chefs over those next two weeks once we went into lockdown saying, can you imagine we'd be on, you know, second cold entree of blah, blah, blah right now? Or can you imagine we'd be, yeah. you know, sitting down to lunch with 2,000 people in Treasury Gardens right now having a, having a great time? You know, in some, in some alternate universe, we'd be drinking a cold beer right now thinking that was a great festival, can't wait to do it again. But um, it wasn't to be. And, you know, looking back, there's no choice there at all. I mean, there's absolutely no choice. You know, it, the only worst thing, I suppose, would have been if somehow we'd forged on or, or if the timing had been different and we had to pull the pin in the festival. I mean, that would have yeah. just been the worst. So, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's been a wild old time. One of the reasons you're in the role that you're currently in is because of the incredible contacts and your amazing knowledge in food because of your career as you know one of our most influential restaurant critics and food writers. Um, how have you felt through this time about what's happened with the collapse of the restaurant industry and, and everything that's unfolded? Well, I mean, I, I don't want to talk about the restaurant industry in terms of collapse. I mean, it's certainly going to be a really hard time, has been and will continue to be a very, very difficult time for anyone who makes their living uh, in restaurants or hospitality. Um, but, you know, I'm, I don't think I'm too much of a Pollyanna in saying that I think that, um, just to think about it, I guess with the fires in mind, restaurants will be the green shoots, you know. Um, and we've we've all seen, and you, many of your guests have spoken to how adaptable the restaurant trade has been. You know, what I mean, that's pretty remarkable. And I guess thinking of the fires as the fires again, the first people to jump on that in many cases were people in hospitality. You know, lots lots of businesses, lots of Australians. Everyone did their bit for that. There were you know that was re a really moving part in our recent history, but. I think that people in hospitality are particularly alert to this, you know, because if you're dealing face-to-face -face with people on a, 
on a leisure footing maybe or on a casual footing, that hospitality footing, whether you're a front of house person reading it in their faces or if you're a business owner or a chef reading it in the dockets or, you know, cashing out every day, you know where public sentiment is. You know, you know the score. You know if people are feeling good, if they're feeling flush, if they're feeling scared, you know, you are really alert to what Australia is thinking. Um, and likewise, as soon as Australia is freaking out, you're going to feel it first. You know, people are going to stop going. To, if, if they think that Chinese restaurants are where the virus is at, rightly or wrongly, wrongly, of course, they'll stop going to Chinese restaurants. If they are worried about restaurants as a vector, they're going to stop going to restaurants again. If they're feeling safe, they're going to go out, you know. Um, and that's that's for better or for worse, you know. Um I had a, a food writer friend of mine the other day say, you know, I've never felt more non-essential than, you know, being a, a professional food writer. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And, and you know, restaurants, restaurants and music and art and leisure are incredibly important. But, I mean, I had a lot of phone calls and emails and, and messages in those early days of the lockdown from restaurateurs around Australia and hospitality people around Australia. And, you know, they were reeling from this. And some of them would say things like, you know, the government's not responding because they want to throw us to the dogs. They want, they're, they're in it with the insurance companies. They want to do this. They want to do that. And I thought, I don't think so. You know, I don't know if our governments are organized enough to be that conspiratorial for one thing, but more to the point, when a pandemic comes along like this or an event, a black swan comes along like this and, you know, takes everyone and, as a broadside, uh, there's infrastructure, there's policing, there's rule of law, there's hospitals, there's courts, there's prisons, there's basic food supply, there's water. You know, I care deeply about restaurants and hospitality and, and leisure and art and culture, but there's other things that take precedence in the pecking order, you know, in, in the, the priorities. And I just don't think restaurants featured in those initial conversations. In this time, you know, you've you're one you're one of those critics that you know has a deep love for restaurants and dining out rather than to go in there and sort of with a red pen and sort of a lot of crosses. Um, That'd be a boring job, wouldn't it? <laughs> wouldn't it? Or or is it great? Like if you're one of those people who has an axe to grind with restaurants, or who sets themselves up as the you know the shield to the the, the protector between the poor public and the wily, wily restaurateurs. Maybe you go in and every <laughs> every misplaced fork or undersalted potato, you're like, oh, slash, bang. What a funny way to live your life. But sorry, what was your question? Yeah, and um, it would be interesting to see if that uh, model of the restaurant critic lives, lives on after this pandemic. But I, I guess I wanted to know, because you're not one of, or you were never one of those sort of critics. You had a great love for restaurants and people in the industry. You know what what you've been missing from restaurants having not having access to them during this period. I think that um, I've had a lot of conversations about what recovery is going to look like, and you know, people are some people are saying, you know, well, once you realise that you can pay X dollars for that same bottle of wine and X dollars for that steak in your house. 
you know, you can cook your own, you've made your own sourdough. Why would you go to restaurants anymore? And I think that misses the whole point of restaurants. You know, like, yes, you get fed, but that's not what restaurants are about. It's not what bars are about. You know, any of us can drink at home for far less money than drinking in a pub or a bar. You can make coffee at home. Hell, I've been making coffee at home. That's frightening in itself. Um, that's not what it's about. You know, it's about connecting with people. It's about living differently, living bigger. You know, the very best experiences in restaurants, you know, you go to a good restaurant with your friends or your, your family, your loved ones, and you sit a little taller. What you say seems a bit smarter. Your jokes are funnier and you create memories. You know, I mean, you can absolutely do those things at home or under a picnic table. Don't get me wrong. I love those things as well. But done right, there's something heightened about the restaurant experience that, you know, why, do, why are restaurants such a compelling place in every culture? Why all over the world do we go to restaurants to celebrate our life that we lived with with our partner or to celebrate a success in business or something like that? You know, it's because it's special. It's because it's elevated you know, it's enriching and, it, you, you know, the, the term restaurant is a place of restoration. On a good day, you feel restored by that experience. And I, I think all of us can welcome that, even if it's just having a great coffee, you know, down the road where the person knows your name and remembers your order. Or maybe they don't and they just make a great coffee right up to the full box and dice of, you know, going to a fantastic regional restaurant in Australia and, and making a, a trip out of it. You know, I think there's something really powerful about that. And, you know, as great as it's been, if, you, if you've had the privilege of having a bit more spare time at home, if you are lucky enough to not be cold sweating 100% of the time about your ability to pay your rent or your mortgage, um, there's been some upsides to being at home. I mean, I've been here cooking with my girlfriend, Helena. We've been making really nice food. You know, I've been really happy to cook. Um, you know, spiced it up with the occasional uh, takeaway from, you know, the fantastic restaurants that are doing that here in Melbourne. But I'm really looking forward to seeing my friends again. I'm really looking forward to that experience of being in a, I don't know, it's kind of a different zone. It's not a public space and it's not, home it's this special other place you know restaurants and bars and it's a great place yeah you said some pretty beautiful things there that i tend to agree with and the, the melbourne food and wine festival tends to magnify all of that and celebrate not only sort of melbourne and australia but the, the wonderful chefs and operators across the globe as well that you know in a different circumstances would have flown in for for the festival this year um you are, however, launching an iteration of the festival. Um, can you tell us about that and, and what's going to unfold next week? Can we get through this conversation without saying pivot again? I don't know. Let's let's try. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's let's definitely do it. <laughs> no p words here. Our festival is postponed, so it is currently our intention to. Um, stage as much of our March program 
um, as soon as we can, you know, as soon as we're given the all clear by, by the government and by health authorities. Um, I'm speculating here. Um, this is not our official position, but I would imagine that probably won't include um, international guests just because it doesn't look like anyone's going to be hopping on a plane. You know, maybe if we're lucky, we'll get um, Ed Werner out from, from Auckland still, but otherwise it's, yeah, it's, it's not going to have people coming in from, from Asia and the US and, and the UK and Europe. Um, but, you know, we still have a very robust and exciting program. So this is not a um, replacement for that, but while we are waiting on um, gatherings of a more substantial size to be safe and legal, um, we still want to do our bit. I mean, we haven't stopped. We haven't switched off the lights and, and pulled down the shades at, at Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. We've you know, been working all through the, the pandemic and the lockdown. Um, we've tried to be as useful to um, Victoria and to hospitality as we can possibly be, whether it's sharing information with consumers, you know, sharing information with the punters at home about who's doing what and how to support restaurants, whether it's, you know, buying merch, buying gift certificates, getting takeaway, getting, you know, doing cooking classes, any of those alternate revenue streams that have sprung up while dine-in trade has been dialed back or switched off. Um, we've tried to, you know, advocate for the trade as well. We've been doing forums, you know, with everyone from restaurateurs to um, commercial property lawyers to the banks. You know, the Bank of Melbourne is our, our principal partner for the festival and they're really on the front foot with this stuff. Um, you know, Visit Victoria is, is our destination partner and, you know, as you can imagine, they're as keen as anyone to get people celebrating the wonder of Melbourne hospitality Again, uh, and even even just down to really practical things like here's what's happening with the laws, or when you know when things were first closing down, you know, talking about how you can you know sell or donate food that you haven't been able to sell. Um, so I guess this is just an outgrowth of that. You know, we we still want to be connecting people. We still want to spark up fantastic conversations between um, Australian hospitality people and, and the best and brightest overseas. Um, and I guess the cool thing is we can share this with everyone all around the world. I mean, you know, in a perfect world, we'd have you here in Melbourne. We'd be clinking glass with you walking down the street here. It doesn't get much better than that. But that option isn't available to us right now. So in the meantime, we can give you a taste of, of Melbourne and a taste of the festival whether you are walking the dog in San Francisco or sitting down to dinner in, in London or in Shanghai. Um, and that's, that's kind of fun, I think. Do you think that this online kind of version will continue when the festival does come back to life in its normal form? Well, it depends if it sucks or not, I guess. I mean, hoping, <laughs> I'm hoping it doesn't suck. <laughs> I've, never, I've never done an online festival before. Um, I have no reason to think it, it will suck, but, you know, um, uh, prepare for the worst, hope for the best. Um, we've got some good talent on board, some some people who I know, you know, most of them have, have been guests at the festival before, you know, and people like um, like Renee Redzepi, for instance, from Noma, 
his first visit to Australia was for the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. I think it was more than more than ten years ago. And you know, off the back of that, he developed a love for Australia that eventually grew into him. You know, running Noma here in Australia for for a magical time there. Remember that? That seems yeah. like a long time ago. Now. It does. It feels like forever ago. Yeah, Massimo Batura. You know, Helen Go, a, a former Melbourneian herself. You know, all these people who have this great connection with Australia. We're very, very glad to um, get on board. And I think, you know, for, for creative people like Helen, like, um, like Massimo, like, like Renee, like pretty much everyone who's on the bill, it's going to be very interesting to hear from them where they've been finding an outlet for that creativity while they've, while they've been on hiatus. Um, and I think it's just really interesting to get a, a sense of the day-to-day in different parts of the world. You know, this... This pandemic has not been evenly distributed and it's hit us all in different ways at different times. So uh, I think that's going to be a really interesting part of the conversation and um, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to that. So, yeah, I mean, if if it's good and let's assume it's good, then why not do more of it? I mean, I guess that's that's sort of if you're in the trade – you know, I guess you're asking yourself the same question. You might have been doing some takeaway or, you know, having to access a new revenue stream and maybe you don't want to do that full time because that's not what you're set up for and, you know, we're an events company first and foremost. We're, content is part of our business but, you know, having people together for a big party is sort of what we're known for so we're not going to stop doing that but it's good to be able to have that other option. And I, I would imagine that there will be plenty of people in hospitality who will stay diversified or at least they won't throw away their packaging machine and their understanding of, you know, the internet and delivery platforms and things like that because, you know, I don't know if we're going to see another pandemic again, but um, once-in-a-lifetime scenarios seem to have a habit of cropping up more than once a lifetime, you know. I mean, if you think of the anyone who's in that, that those parts of Australia where, they, where they've not only had drought, then fire, but then pandemic after that, you know, you want to have your options as, as open as possible, I think. To It's like a pretty bad Hollywood blockbuster, isn't it? Yeah. You know, the what are we expecting for uh, for June? The Crab Men, the oh, Murder Hornets, Murder Hornets. That's right. <laughs> um and you know, like there's still things going on. There's still cyclones and droughts, and you know, there's there's a plague of locusts in Africa. You know, and I think everyone having less money, you know, governments, businesses, individuals, it's not going to make us any more resilient or any easier in the the years to come. So we've we've got to be flexible, you know, and we've got to be willing to do things a different way because, um, at the risk of straying towards that most overused of phrases, the new normal, it, it is going to be business as unusual for the next little while. But, you know, hopefully out of that will spring opportunities. You know, I don't, I don't think it's going to be for everyone. I'm sure there are people who are listening to your podcast who are really freaked out by what's happening and, and stand to lose their businesses or their livelihoods. I mean, that's, that's true for a lot of people. At the same time, um, for others – you know, if they move fast and if they, you know, make the right moves and, and think community rather than individual, there's there's gains to be had there, I'm sure. 
absolutely. And moving forward, I know you don't really know when the festival will um, be on again in the sort of physical sense when we can all be there clinking glasses. And your gut instinct is that we probably won't have international guests, which is which makes sense. But do you think that that might be an opportunity to shine a light on some of the lesser-known talent in Australia with some of the talent that's already on the bill? Well, it's been it's been interesting for me because joining the festival. I mean, I've I've been associated with the festival. I used to work for Gourmet Traveller, and and the Gourmet Traveller was a partner of the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival for many years. So I've been involved as a you know a talent scout and wrangler unofficially and officially as a host for for more than a decade. Um, and I guess maybe because I'm coming at it through that international talent lens and because because I work for Gourmet Traveller, my, my thought about the festival was that it always its core business was that international guest thing. But if you look at the events um, of the festival as a whole, the majority of the events are things dreamed up by people in venues in Victoria that, you know, they get the festival to help market. So it's individual restaurants and bars, councils, cafes, community organisations saying, hey, I've got this cool idea. Why don't we do this? So while we love those international guests and they're amazing and they really contribute to the conversation and we love sending them out into the world as ambassadors for Melbourne, for Victorian, for Australian hospitality, um, when you look at the numbers, it's actually a relatively small part of what we do. And um, as great a response as we had to our global dining series, which is what we call the the events that have the chefs from overseas and from interstate, uh, you know, we had a great response to that. A lot of those sold out very quickly. You know, Lee Tiernan from Black Axe Mangle was going to be at Leonardo's rocking out. <laughs> awesome. Um, that sold out in no time flat. But the thing that sells out first is the world's longest lunch, you know, and, and this year that was Philippe Michel, Stephanie Alexander and Jacques Raymond, you know, and it doesn't get much more Melbourne than that. That is the Melbourne old guard. And we sold out nearly 2,000 tickets in half a day. That doesn't surprise you know, me. And they're, they're at a hundred and, what are they, $185 a pop. Wow. You know, so um, while we love those international guests, there is a really, really strong support from Melbourne Food and Wine Festival guests for homegrown talent. You know, Josh Nyland's session sold out really quickly. Um, Matt Lindsay, Otama Carey, um, you know, we had a really great response to all those. We had a really great response to a uh, an event we were going to put on, will put on, with no guest talent. You know, Maximum Chips, which is just a an idea that evolved from a joke in the office to, hey, this is actually a really good idea, let's put it on. You know, a hot chips party for 2,000 people. Um, you know, that was that was very close to sold out when we had to pull the or press the pause button. Um, so I guess that speaks to the power of good and or silly ideas, um, you know, done in a fun way and, and on people's willingness to get out and embrace um, a good time with, with food and drink. So, yeah, I mean, wow, it was a really long-winded answer. Yes, I think it's a, <laughs> it's a great time to celebrate Australian talent and, and a great time everywhere. I mean, you know, uh, I think a lot of Australians 
and I acknowledge the privilege of this statement, but I think a lot of Australians have fallen into the habit of um, going overseas every year and and doing that for their fact-finding mission. But, you know, and I'm not going to make this a plug for Melbourne. Melbourne is obviously the best. But, you know, a trip to Adelaide, a trip to Hobart, a trip to Sydney, a trip to Brisbane, a trip to Perth, a trip to Darwin, you know, Newcastle, Geelong, um, Ballarat, Bendigo, Launceston, you know, uh, the countryside, the beach, we have it pretty great here, you know, and there's so many fantastic destination restaurants, you know, and I actually, you know, I lived in Sydney the last 20 years and I didn't go back much over the last 12 months because I was pretty busy with living my best Melbourne life, but went back a couple of times for the odd, odd work trip or the odd wedding and it's pretty great. You know, like Sydney's a great destination, and I, I and I feel the same way as as a person visiting Melbourne. You know, there's so much great stuff on our doorstep. You know, there's, there's amazing restaurants. Um, you know, a road trip up to Fleet in Byron or any of the Fleet family, that's a real treat. You know, or, or further up the coast in Queensland. You know, I let alone going to Bray. You know, or Igni here in Victoria. Um, I'm I'm really hoping that Annie Smithers can can reopen Defermia. That looks like you know, it looks like I should should get that one in plenty of time because I I um am really looking forward to celebrating a birthday there soon. You know, there's there's a lot of really great stuff there, and it's it also doesn't have to be expensive. Those those special options are there, but you know, there's a great way to get out there and enjoy your city and enjoy Australia and and do your bit as well and i i think that's cool i think that that was sort of the way we were looking post the bushfires you know i think if you can get out and support those communities that'll really make a big difference but you know um make it australia this year you know it's pretty great it certainly is mate and it's pretty damn obvious why you're in the role that you're in canberra we <laughs> haven't talked about canberra oh, that's it's my secret special spot <laughs> don't don't give it away all right i won't tell people don't yeah. tell them how good no, it is don't here. get on the roundabout you'll never come back yeah. but canberra don't you think canberra has the most good coffee shops per capita in the world well i'll tell you what canberra's changing food landscape was a big uh, lure for to bring the family here no doubt about that it's um Excellent food. Yep. Like, are the, are the farmers markets back up? The farmers markets are running here. If, if they're back up and running in Canberra, the farmers markets this time of the year, the one out at um, what we used to call Natex, I think it's called Epic now. I mean, that is, for my money, I probably shouldn't say this as a professional Victorian, but that is the best <laughs> farmers market in the country. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, particularly in autumn, winter, spring, it's just outstanding. Uh, Canberra Region wines, obviously not a great vintage this year, but there's still you know great winemaking happening all around Canberra. Um, bar Rockford, possibly my favourite bar in Australia, definitely top five. Yeah, and you know Pilot Italian and Sons, it's a pretty good place to be. It's great, it's great that you've got the Lost McConnell. Don't tell Sean I said that. I don't think he likes being called that, but you know, <laughs> I mean, I got to I got to his new place a couple of times over the summer. What a top spot. You know, so Canberra Punch is so far above its weight. It's got some great places to stay. It's got the best mountain biking in Australia. You know, it's fantastic nature. 
you know, I I would wholeheartedly endorse once you've been to Melbourne and to all the major cities in Victoria <laughs> and up and down the Victorian coast, you should definitely consider going to Canberra. <laughs> well, mate, um, it's always awesome to chat. Um, good luck next week with this online version of the festival, but also really looking forward to actually sharing a drink or two uh, when the festival takes place later on this year. And I um, really appreciate, appreciate your time. Please do join us. I would love that. Just all you have to do to be part of it, plug coming, all you have to do to be part of it is hop on to www.melbournefoodandwine.com.au or our Instagram is melbfoodwine, snappy. Um, pretty much everything we're doing is free. Pretty much all of it is going to happen on Instagram Live. So please join us. I think you're going to really enjoy it. Bloody earth, mate. Awesome. Good plug too. Well done. Um, talk soon and, <laughs> and, and good luck and um, really looking forward to seeing you again soon too, mate. It's been a pleasure being on the show, Huck, and I've really been enjoying it. So as far as the P words are concerned, this is one of the, the better ones to come out of this situation. So I hope it'll, it'll extend once we're out of the weeds. Out of the weeds. That's quite snappy. That could work. Yeah. Ah. Oh, you're onto something there. Huh? 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 <laughs> Thanks, Pat. See you, Huck. Bye. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.